episode 56 of the Blooms and Barnacles podcast, where we talk about everything related to James Joyce's Ulysses. I'm Kelly. And I'm Dermot. Good to see you tonight, Dermot. Good to see you too. Before we get to our episode today, we've got a little bit of business. If you're listening for the first time, we are not only a podcast, but also a blog. And we have a new post out this week called The Secret Life of Martha Clifford. Can you give us a little preview of that post, Dermot? Yes, it's the, uh, the mysterious pen pal, the uh, lover, perhaps, of Mr. Leopold Bloom and her identity thereof, which is hidden in a uh, cunning code, a cryptographic device. And you are the resident artist for our audio podcast. Yes. And you've done some artwork for this. Yep. Can you tell us about your artwork? Yeah, it's Mr. Bloom, but I thought, well, since he's like trying to at least in his imagination, arrange a date with, uh, with his mistress. I have him standing under the Cleary's clock, which if anyone outside of Ireland hears this, they might not know what this means. Could you explain it? Uh, it's a famous landmark in Dublin. I'm not sure it existed in 1904 because Cleary's was rebuilt after the <laughs> 1916 rising because it got the British overreacted a little bit and blew half of Dublin to smithereens. But uh, there's beloved like ornate clock mm -hmm. and people would say, I'll meet you under the Cleary's clock. There was an Irish radio show about it a while back with Dubliners reminiscing about how their parents would have met under the clock. So they, they, they saw the ex show the exact spot. This is where my mum and dad met for the first time. Mm -hmm. Very sweet. And uh, But one person also said it was horrible if your date stood you up because you'd be standing there under the bloody clock like a plonker and everybody knew you had just been jilted. And you'd be, mm -hmm. and you'd be waiting until you could sneak off with your... Your, your little flower wilting and your box of chocolates melting in your hands. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Leopold's under the Cleary's clock. I didn't pay too much attention to the architecture because it takes forever to draw those bloody old buildings. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, it's very cute nonetheless, uh, even though it's about marital infidelity. Yeah, yeah. So Imagined at the very least. If someone would like to see your cute little rendition of marital infidelity, where mm -hmm. might they find it? On bloomsandbarnacles.com. Yep. You can check out bloomsandbarnacles.com and find the show notes for this episode as well as Dermot's artwork. Dermot has done artwork for this episode as well. Can, mm -hmm. can you tell us about this artwork? This is uh, relating to the part where Stephen urinates on the beach. I would say this uh, is a, a universal archetype. Yeah, yeah. Let's get, let's get Jungian about it. So uh, <laughs> especially in America, people will be familiar with the Calvin and Hobbes uh, bumper sticker but it's Calvin pissing on whatever you're having. Could be pissing mm -hmm. on a Ford logo or... Or a whatever, Chevy. Whatever you dislike. <laughs> and so at your specific request, you said, could you turn that into Stephen? <laughs> yes. So this isn't my fault. Mm -hmm. Don't be blaming me for this one. Yeah, this showing all, my, my working class roots. This is all Kelly. Uh, if you find it crass, it is. Um, <laughs> and so is reading a, a fancy book about a dude pissing on a beach. Yeah. People do worse things on that beach throughout the course of Ulysses than uh, our Calvin Stevens. That's true. Yeah. Calvin Daedalus. What are some ways to move into an abrupt segue? What are some ways that if people like our podcast and blog and your artwork, that what are some ways that they can support us? Uh, you could engage with us on the Facebook group or Twitter or help mm -hmm. to share and um, hit like, 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 please hit like. Yeah. Because they do uh, every YouTube channel I watch. Mm -hmm. I watch quite a few of them now. And they all say, please push the like button because it really does. It does. Make a difference. Just remember that Leopold Bloom said that love loves to love love. Mm -hmm. So please 
click that heart button on Twitter yeah. or on Facebook. Like, likes to like, like. Well, there's a love button, though. The alg yeah, the algorithm mm -hmm. loves that. What else can folks do if they want to support us? Filthy lucre. Give us guineas, groats. <laughs> or, or money that shillings, actually exists. Florins. <laughs> Florins are great. Can you trade Florins on PayPal? No, or Bitcoin either, no. Yeah. Uh, but no, but certainly like any donations via the PayPal mm -hmm. on our uh, website. Uh, yeah, you'll see a donate button in the upper right-hand corner. And if they love what we've done, what's another way they can tell us about it? I don't know, email? Yes, email. <laughs> <laughs> you can email us at bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. We'd yeah, love to hear from uh, you. And if you send us a fun or funny email, we might read it on the podcast. Yeah. I have a quick addendum here to our last episode i mentioned at the very end that i would love to read some buck mulligan stephen dedalus slash fic which for anybody who's not familiar with uh, weird internet subculture slash fiction is uh a, a fan fiction about two characters having intercourse with one another so it'll be like you know harry slash draco that's where the slash comes from so i want originally yeah. slash Deadless. Originally, it was Kirk slash Spock oh. from the old uh, cons in the 1970s. Okay. So I thought, I, I mean, Blooms and Barnacles exists on the back of my um, proficient use of Google. I'm very good at internet research. So I thought, it's, <laughs> I don't, I never Googled this. That's so weird. So I went on Google and looked up Mulligan, Stephen slash Fick, and Ulysses slash Fick. The only, like, the top links that came up were Bloons and Barnacles links asking for it. <laughs> so I went to the old stalwart fanfiction.net, and there is no Ulysses slash Fick or fanfiction of any kind. Like, there's Tess of the Durbervilles fanfiction, but there is no. Ulysses or any James Joyce fan fiction. So I did, though, want to share some of the interesting slash fic that I found. There's a lot of fan fiction, but specifically very erotic slash fic. These are the things I did find. Great Gatsby. There's a lot of Gatsby slash Nick Carraway mm -hmm. stories. Jane Austen, very um, fertile ground. A lot of characters in all sorts of combinations hooking up there. The Things They Carried, which is a, an autobiographical fictionalized story about PTSD and the Vietnam War. There was a, a, a gay erotic story about the things they carried. I, I found this to be a very strange option. And then lots of biblical slash fic, like Jesus slash John the Baptist, Satan slash everybody, fanfiction.net. I, the funniest one I ever read was, because this isn't my thing, but the funniest one I ever read was a comedic site that had slash fic between Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. <laughs> it was horrific. But there is no mulligan slash deadless slash fic, which seemed like such an obvious choice. And I, I feel like I need to write it. And I, I just don't know mm. if I can uh, do that. I'm not reading it if you write it. I'm just telling no, you. No, I will read it. Okay. <laughs> and no one else, apparently. Uh, it really makes me question Rule 34. What? That anything that can be porn is porn. Mm. Maybe you found little uninhabited corner I pixel think so. of the internet. I think so. So mm. um, it makes me feel like I've, I've reached an, an edge of the internet. Mm. That's good though, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> the crackling static field is disturbing me, is it? <laughs> 
No, I, I, I'm just... You're like Neo. So you see the ones yes. and the zeros going down? Yes, that's what it's like. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, uh, speaking of Ulysses, why don't we uh, talk about our chapter today? All right. Let's get into it. Great. We are still in Proteus. We're very close to the end. Mm -hmm. I showed you how close to the end we are, Dermot. Tantalizingly close. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, but if you are following along at home, we are on page 49 and 50 today in my edition, which is the 1990 Vintage International Edition. And Dermot is going to read these three paragraphs for us, and then we'll discuss them. In long lassoes from the Cock Lake, the water flowed full, covering green goldenly lagoons of sand, rising, flowing. My ash plant will float away. I shall wait. No, they will pass on, passing, chafing against the low rocks, swirling, passing. Better get this job over quick. Listen, a four-worded wave speech. See, so, hurs, rish, whoosh. Vehement breath of waters amid sea snakes, rearing horses, rocks, in cups of rocks at slops, flop, slop, slap, bounded in barrels, and spent its speech ceases. It flows purling, widely flowing, floating foam pool, flower unfurling. Under the upswelling tide, he saw the writhing weeds lift languidly and sway reluctant arms, hising up their petticoats, in whispering water, swaying and upturning coy silver fronds, day by day, night by night, lifted, flooded, and let fall. Lord, they are weary, and whisper too, they sigh. St. Ambrose heard it, sigh of leaves and waves, waiting, awaiting the fullness of their times. Diebus ac noctibus inurias patiens ingemsicit. To no end gathered, vainly then released, forth flowing, wending back, loom of the moon. Weary too inside of lovers, lascivious men, a naked woman shining in her courts, she draws a toil of waters. Five fathoms out there, full fathom five thy father lies. At one, he said, found drowned, high water at Dublin Bar, driving before it a loose drift of rubble, fan shoals of fishes, silly shells, a corpse rising salt white from the undertow, bobbing a pace, a pace, a porpoise landward, there he is, hook it quick, pull, sunk though he be beneath the watery floor. We have him. Easy now. Thank you, Dermot. What are your thoughts? Ah, oh, Jesus. Um, I, he's back on Sandy Mount Strand again. We're he, still there. We're still grinding away through yeah. there. And uh, I think he's just seeing like a lot of seaweed and, and flotsam and jetsam and waves slopping around little tide pools and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, let's see because uh, the weeds and all this I don't know what hising is I guess it's some antique word um, they, at St. Ambrose is this the St. Ambrose who came up with the theological proof of God or was that a different saint I'm thinking of? this is a, 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 a hymn writer okay. I believe here's a Roman saint okay somebody else then I think uh, I have no idea what the Diebus uh, ag noctibus inurias patiens and no comprehension on what that is. Um, the, the loom of the moon. I wonder, is that the tides? Because the, the moon is kind of weaving tides mm -hmm. backwards and forwards around the world. Um, Full Fathoms Five, The Father Lies. That's Shakespeare. It is Shakespeare. Your fave? Yeah. 
should have written Scooby-Doo episodes. High water at Dublin Bar. I don't know if that's like a drinking joke or not. Drive me for a loser of a rubble. Fanshawe's official. Again, more sense perceptions of all the, the crowd he's seeing on the strand. And then at the very end, of course, the corpse. This uh, dead body that's been floating out there for nine days. So it's somebody fishing the, the, the corpsicle back to land. Corpsicle? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not frozen, though. It's, yeah, it's, it's summer cool. water. That was cold enough out there. Okay. We all saw the recent uh, furor on social media about people at the uh, 40 foot wearing, wearing co- cozy robes. Cozy robes. Yes, that was shared in the Blooms of Barnacles Facebook group mm-hmm. if you'd like to check it out. Yeah, we have to put our foot down somewhere. All right. In long lassos, I like your, how do you pronounce that word, Dermot? L A S S O E S. Lassos. 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 Lasso. Lasso. I, I like that we're getting both pronunciations. In long lassos from the Cock Lake, the water flowed full. Covering green goldenly lagoons of sand, rising, flowing. My ash plant will float away. I shall wait. No, they will pass on, passing, chafing against the low rocks, swirling and passing. And then you called out in your analysis that a lot of this sounds like tide. And yeah, this is the tide coming in. Um, what is Cock Lake? I have no idea. So Cock Lake is a real place. Uh-huh. Um, so... The, this area around Sandy Mount is, is tidal flats. Mm-hmm. And so Cock Lake isn't really a lake. It's more of a long rivulet. And it's the channel along which the tides run in and out of Sandy Mount. Mm-hmm. It is listed on the website DublinBayBiosphere.ie as Cockle Lake. And they boast of its plentitude of cockles, mm-hmm. which cockle pickers, yeah, we've yeah. already met in this episode. Oh, okay. However, Cock Lake is not Joyce's coinage. It, it appears on maps of Dublin Bay from over 100 years before Joyce's era. But as, you shall, as we shall see, and I think the cock is probably short for cockle, but I don't, I don't re- that's just my own assumption. But as you shall see, the Cock Lake here is, is strategically placed in this section. Because Stephen says next, better get this job over quick. What's the job? Um, was it mailing something? Is he still going to mail that letter? Or he has, he's he... going to hand deliver it. I mean, he's also writing the poem. Yeah, he tore off the, he has the foot and mouth disease letter. He's torn off the top to write his right. goth vampire poem. Um, but DZ wanted him to deliver that to his newspaper contacts yeah. in town. Yeah. So he needs, he's, but he's going to deliver it by hand. Right. Because the the cattle traders association, uh, the cattle traders association is meeting that day, so it's it's urgent business. Because right. this is back when um, newspapers had multiple editions per day, right? He, yeah. he probably wants it in the evening edition. Oh, okay. No, this is Stephen uh, is peeing on the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> so Cock Lake, I, yeah, folks, from the Cock Lake, the water flowed full. Oh. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a clever little, you know, nod there. According to Richard Elman, famous Joyce scholar and author of Ulysses on the Liffey, he sees generation and corruptions as the major themes in Proteus. He says that all life that Stephen is experiencing on the Strand and beyond the Strand, all life is generated by a mother, so maybe the gray sweet mother, as Mulligan said, algae called the ocean. Mm-hmm. So the ocean is a mother figure, uh, mother figure or mother symbol. And corruption also exists as part of life. 
So in this case, it would be urination, which is leading up to this line where he mentions the urinous awful from all dead. So Stephen's ur- urination combining with the flowing waters of, of the tide mm-hmm. is a, the kind of union of this generation and corruption. The mother figure and the 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 figure of corruption in the form of excrement, urine, right. are combining here, uniting these two okay. theories, or these, these two themes. I also think the urine here, or the urinous awful, as it's called, because he just says, get this job over quick. Like, the okay, the water is flowing full from the cock lake. Uh, but he, he uses the word urine not to refer to his own, which he just calls a job, but the urinous awful of, of a decaying corpse, I think is also foreshadowing of Leopold Bloom, who is introduced in the, like, two pages from this with this line. Most of all, he liked grilled mutton kidneys, which gave to his palate a fine tang of faintly scented urine. So that that's like the first paragraph you read about Leopold Bloom, is that he kind of enjoys the taste of, of urine <laughs> a little bit. And then Bloom's introductory chapter ends with him defecating. Hmm. As you remember from our blog post in the Jakes of Mr. Bloom, mm-hmm. where we talk about him taking a poo. Mm-hmm. So we see both of our main characters, father and son, two parts of this weird holy trinity, you know, defecating in some manner. Hmm. Excreting, I guess you could say. So Joyce had told his friend Frank Budgen that it was his uh, ambition as a writer to represent the human body on its own terms. He didn't want to get lost in that kind of poetic angle or, mm. you know, tidy, Victorian, sweet-smelling yeah, fantasy of the world. Euphemisms and all that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that is one reason that he depicts both Stephen and Bloom going to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Which I guess in a, saying going to the bathroom is a is a, a euphemism, isn't it? It is. But I think also this is a really interesting portrayal of Stephen coming to terms with his own body because and and by extension you know releasing himself from the the bonds of Catholicism mm-hmm. because we look back at a portrait of the artist as a young man Stephen mentions urine a couple of times in that book so there's there's one section where he wants to practice is, is mortification the right word where he's like punishing himself yeah, physically I think so He's purposely making himself feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. M- mortification of the flesh. Yeah. And he does this as a way of connecting with Catholicism more devoutly. Right. And so I'd like you to read this, this passage here. He found in the end that the only odor against which his sense of smell revolted was a certain stale, fishy stink, like that of long-standing urine. And whenever it was possible, he subjected himself to this unpleasant odor. So he's... He's, pun- he's doing penance by making himself smell urine because hmm. he doesn't like the smell. <laughs> but here, Stephen is openly and publicly urinating mm-hmm. and kind of communing with nature or with the, the, the ocean mm-hmm. in this way. Mm-hmm. And I think that you could see that as a, you know, a symbol of his freedom. Mm. It's also... A symbol of the freedom that he gains through creation as an artist because he is also accepting urination as a creative act or an act of creation. He, again, back in portrait, he questioned, Can excrement or a child or a louse be a work of art? Which, as an aside, like, 
One of those things is not like the other. <laughs> like, I think he, he means like birthing a child. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the louse comes in. There, anyway. Uh, but he's, he's questioning whether a product of your body can be seen as a creative act. Yeah. Even, the, I guess, the generation of a louse. I wonder what he would have made of Piss Christ. I, I have been thinking about Piss Christ so much when I was writing this. For those who don't know, infamous work of art. Andre Serrano. Yeah, who was a, was it a photograph of the it, uh, alleged object. Rather Piss than... Christ is, an, it is a photograph. He, he submerged a crucifix in a mixture of his own urine, blood, and semen, oh, and then photographed nice. it. So actually, if you don't know what it is, it's quite a lovely image because there's sort of this warm... Yes orange glow to it and yeah. then this silhouetted crucifix yeah. but then it's it's and evangelical christians attack the image they sh- with a hammer while they've tried to destroy it once and i it's, think it's not just that it's because it was funded by the national endowment of right. the arts but somebody pointed out the irony of a christian vandalizing an image of the crucifixion <laughs> yeah it's uh but i did think a lot of well you know what we'll put piss christ in the episode notes so you can, mm-hmm. can see which serrano is a very controversial artists like that's a big aspect of all of his work uh, but piss christ i think was one of his most famous mm-hmm. works yeah yeah um in part because a lot of the controversy was it was paid for with public funds yeah no i think it's legitimate so. outrage if you're going to do that fine do it but i don't think you need taxpayer money to do it i think you can do that on your own time mm-hmm. you know there's hardworking people out there for whom this is a matter of like life and death to them you know and here you are, you're taking their money with your fucking high-handed art fart and then mm-hmm. you're, you're basically pissing on them. So I can understand, I absolutely mm-hmm. understand. Wouldn't understand, you know, wouldn't validate, like if they were gonna firebomb the museum or something, it's like, yeah, you crossed <laughs> the line. I think you missed the whole Christian message there, yeah. but I can understand the outrage and, and the, the taxpayer funding. Yeah, he, he gave a gift mm-hmm. to certain conservative politicians with that, well done, mate. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like that you know, artistic expression is a, a protected speech. And mm-hmm. um, also in this country, we have separation of church and state. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not super bothered by the public funding of blasphemy, but, mm-hmm. you know. Well, he wouldn't do it with Islam. I don't know. A lot of these people, a lot of, they're very quick to, to jump on mm-hmm. bashing Christians. You mm-hmm. won't see them lining up so many of them to bash Islam, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. And, and they shouldn't either. You know, you got to be consistent. This is my bugaboo. You have to be consistent. And if you're not going to do it to this religion, you shouldn't be doing it to this I one. I feel like in this case, it would depend on what he's actually reacting to. If it's religion as a concept, if it's his... Re- I'm not mm. super familiar with Piss Christ because I, I felt like, oh, this guy's just being edgy for the sake of being yeah. edgy. But I, I think it would depend on what he's actually trying to communicate with the art because mm, based on his name, I'm guessing he comes from a Christian background. Mm. Yeah. He, he might be reacting to his own experiences of leaving Christianity. Right. And you see here also Joyce is, ex, ex, you know, expressing this decoupling from mm-hmm. a very strict Christian background through the act of urination. Right. It would be a very different piece to wrap up about Andre Serrano if he was not a Muslim and he had no cultural connection to Islam. Right. And he just wanted to, like piss on a Quran or, or some other holy object yeah. versus if he's reacting to... I'll say Salman Rushdie with the satanic verses would be a better yeah. analog. Yeah, yeah but yeah. there's those are very different reactions to mm. a religion. I would, I would mm-hmm. contrast, I would say Sinead O'Connor tearing up the photograph mm-hmm. of the Pope. 100% right. Mm-hmm. Did it on her own dime. She bought the mm-hmm. picture. She tore it up herself. 
she wasn't be taxpayer funded and bonus points she was right everything she said at the time was yeah. right and everybody who criticized her was wrong and All they right. can go to hell i have one one final thing i would say to that because then i want to yeah. get back to where this interminable chapter yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um is that sinead o'connor as a public figure has a very different platform than mm -hmm. a fine artist like andre serrano yeah that's a, a thing as well. Like mm. the only reason most people would know who he is is because he pissed on a crucifix, yeah. and <laughs> then uh, used his, uh, you know, NEA money to support <laughs> that show. You know, whereas Sinead O'Connor is a, a, a internationally famous recording artist, has a very different platform than a yeah, well, you know, she, an she, art photographer. Her career went into the tank after that. She, her career has taken an interesting path. All right, so let's get back to this. So can excrement or a child or a louse be a work of art? Andre Serrano says yes. Joyce, I think, is tacitly saying yes. Mm -hmm. The data is around this time yeah. would have said yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dermot O'Connor. Uncommittal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'm flirting with uh, platonic realisms half the time, so yeah, maybe yeah. not, maybe not. Do you remember back in Telemachus when we talked about Mother Grogan? Yes. There are going to be a lot of do you remember back one questions today, so just to soften that blow. Okay. Uh, do you remember Mother Grogan? Mother Grogan, vaguely. Okay. I remember the name mm -hmm. and, yeah, for the peeing business with her as well. Yeah, yes. so there there was a discussion of her act of urination as a symbol of creation or create creativity. Mm -hmm. So Buck Mulligan said, ironically... When I makes tea, I makes tea, as my old mother Grogan said. And when I makes water, I makes water. And then there was a and whole... That, that's oh. my best Wild Mountain Time accent. Okay. That's how Irish people are supposed to speak, apparently. All right, you got that reference in. You feel mm -hmm. good about yourself? And then they make a joke about, oh, you know, do you suppose Mother Grogan's teapot isn't the Upanishads or the Mabinogion? And they're a bunch of... Oh, they're so clever. Yeah. Uh, young men in a tower. There are a bunch of young men in a tower. Um, and at the, so at the time, Stephen kind of sneered at this, like that this more earthy act could be on par with a, a higher act of creativity. Mm -hmm. But I think what we're seeing here is Stephen is starting to integrate this idea that all creation can be an art form, mm -hmm. right? He wasn't sure when he was younger in portrait. He's matured maybe a little bit, but or at least is, is maturing intellectually and is moving more to accepting this idea that bodily creations are also creative acts. Reminds me of, uh, and I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a short story by Robert Heinlein mm -hmm. called The Unpleasant Profession of Mr. Jonathan Hoag. And anyone who wants to look it up can read All it. All right. Well, I will put that in the show notes. I haven't read it either. And I also, do you remember our friend Tatters? Yeah, the dog. I, Tatters. I, I allege that he was inspired by Tatters as mm -hmm. this freewheeling chaos agent mm -hmm. um, and creative force because he lifts his hind leg and pisses on a rock and now look what Steven's doing. Yes. Yeah. All right. So let's look at the next line. Listen, a four-worded wave speech. Vehement breath of waters amid sea snakes, rearing horses, rocks. Do you like my my wave speech? Better than mine. <laughs> I, I I've definitely told a lot of people the value of reading reading this out loud with others, but so many people get to this and go, see Sue, hearse, 
Ursus. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's not what it is. <laughs> so this is a sound. What what do you think the sound would be? Don't read my note there. What's what is this? Oh, it's the, it's the waves crashing on the strand. In yeah. And out. Yeah. Yeah, it's the sound of the flowing tide. The, the sloshing of the water. Sloshing yeah. of the water intermingling with Stephen's flowing urine. Mm -hmm. You know, which one is it? It's kind of both. What he's doing here is giving a language and a voice to not only the tide and the waves, but also to urination, giving voice to this creative process. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about this wave speech. I find this a very interesting term because he's beginning to personify the ocean, mm -hmm. I think both in a literary, artistic way, but also in a more real-world way. Mm -hmm. Because notice it's not wave noise or, you know, cacophony or any other of a dozen words that can mean, like, noise. It's speech. Like, he, he plainly identifies it as speech. Yeah. And Joyce... Himself, both in his notes, which we're going to read a couple of his notes, and then the notes that as they were integrated into Telemachus, he points out Mulligan slash his friend Oliver St. John Gogarty as someone who spoke to inanimate objects. So read the this first quote here. This is about Gogarty. He addresses lifeless objects and hits them smartly with his cane, the naturalism of the Celtic mind. So I find that idea very interesting. I've thought about it a lot as we've been working on this project. And there's a scene in Telemachus where I believe Gogarty or sorry, Mulligan is getting dressed mm -hmm. and he's talking to like his waistcoat and his hat and everything as he puts it on. I do that all the time. I do that all the time too. But Joyce sees this as the naturalism of the Celtic mind. Mm -hmm. What do you what do you think that might be? Or he thinks that we're us Celtic people are anim animists, basically, yeah, and we exactly. think that everything is alive and has a soul. Mm -hmm. Right. And then he also writes in this section in his notes, this is his Trieste notebook, which I will link in the show notes. The Omphalos was to be a temple of neo-paganism. And it's referred to that way in Telemachus as well. Mm -hmm. So this naturalism of the Celtic mind and neo-paganism, just hold those ideas in your head for right now. Mm -hmm. Let them slosh around like the tides moving around. There's a, a scholar named uh, Sidney Fishbach who translated the wave speech. He sees it as the things that directly follow it. So the sea sioux, he sees as the, it's saying sea snakes. He sees the horse as horses, right? Mm -hmm. It seems like the waves aren't really good with vowels sometimes. Mm, yeah. Or the is the rocks. Okay. Right? So you first hear the wave speech, and then Stephen translated it in his mind to human speech. Mm -hmm. See snakes, horses, and rocks. And we also see here the waters kind of have this protein quality where it's taking these forms of snakes and horses. And it, it's a bit of a callback to this other line from earlier in the episode where he remarks on the white-maned seahorses champing bright when bridled the steeds of Mananon, mm -hmm. who's the Irish sea god. Mm. To go back to those notes about neopaganism and this naturalistic mind, I think what Stephen is starting to delineate here is that Mulligan's neopaganism, guess what? He did that wrong too. Mulligan does everything wrong. But his neopaganism is Hellenic. It's mm -hmm. Greek, right? He wants to Hellenize Ireland. But Stephen has kind of taken that idea and he's allowed it to take on Irish forms 
or, you know, he's allowing maybe his own mind to take on these naturalistic forms and to kind of enliven this world of inanimate objects in his own way. Mm -hmm. But he's dropped the Hellenism and he, because he, I think, wants to create an Irish art form. And so by embracing these Irish forms, he embraces art as an Irish artist. Mm. Okay. With this kind of, I, very, I feel very paganistic, animistic way of looking at the world. Well, I think if you um, follow things to their brutal conclusion, either everything has a soul or everything doesn't. Mm -hmm. I don't think you get to be Cartesian about it and say only yeah. people, because we live in a world where we have, most of us, I hope, believe in evolution. And that raises the continuum problem, because there's a continuum of forms between little half-alive blobs of protoplasm and human beings and there's no generation between any two iterations where you can say oh this is where you know these ape little beings now have souls and the, their parents didn't mm. so either everything uh, and you can't and even between what's alive and what isn't alive there's a continuum as well so are the to be consistent about it for me anyway mm -hmm. i have to take the point either none of us have a soul and we're all just blobs of, of inanimate matter who think we're alive or everything is in soul and everything mm -hmm. is in chance. What Stephen is embracing in this this section here is an, anima, an animated world, mm -hmm. an, an, an ensouled world. Anima mundi and all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the next section here. In cups of rocks it slops, flop, slop, slap, that's his pee for sure, mm -hmm. uh, bounded in barrels and spent its speech ceases, right? Mm -hmm. So that Hints too that this isn't just the speech of the waves, but also the speech of his flowing urine. Mm. It flows, purling, widely flowing, floating foam pool, flower, unfurling. That's a nice little rhyme in there. Mm. I don't think I noticed that rhyme. That's that's the advantage of reading this out loud. It reminds me very early on, I think like the second sentence in this chapter. He says, signature of all things I'm here to read. This is really a point where Stephen stops writing and begins reading, actually reading those signs, right? The, the signs he was looking for with the, you know, signs on a white field, uh, his augury. He, he's really beginning to read and to listen to mm -hmm. this animated natural world and start to gain some insight right. and creative inspiration from it. And what he's discovering is that things also have voices in the world, not just people, but things. Mm -hmm. Um, which I'm including animals as things, though I don't really personally see animals as things. And this is something that really opens up throughout Ulysses from Proteus forward. I'm trying to remember if, if Joyce uses any onomatopoeia in the first two chapters, but my mind's blank right now. Sorry, guys. But it's very clear within the confines of Ulysses that things and animals have voices, and we'll start encountering them. They definitely do in Proteus. We, we've seen some interesting onomatopoeia. But we'll, as we go forward, we'll see doors and machines. Here we see waves, cats in the next section. All have their own unique voice. And Joyce uses onomatopoeia to convey that in quite a striking way, I think. Because he doesn't use a typical like sound symbols. Joyce's cat doesn't say meow. <laughs> His waves don't say whoosh mm -hmm. or crash. Right. Which those are words that accommodate human speech mechanism to translate the speech of these other, you know, things mm -hmm. and creatures. He tries to imitate 
as best he can through writing, which is also a system of symbols of sounds, what these act these sounds actually sound like. Mm -hmm. This is kind of I like this because it's kind of a literary elevation of onomatopoeia, which I think is kind of seen as a, a lowly literary form. You know, you're you're not mm -hmm. gonna pick up a lot of like high-minded literature and have really colorful onomatopoeia. That's something you might expect to find in a comic book. Yeah. Like the onomatopoeia in comic books is fantastic. Yeah. But in literature, like Tolstoy, I don't think had any good onomatopoeia hmm. in it. But Joyce has like specific and memorable onomatopoeia. I, I used to work with a cartoonist, a very brilliant guy. He went on to work for Pixar and his favorite onomatopoeia, I think he made it up, he, or I think he did, he was clever enough to, was bathroom for like a big action swoosh and it reads bathroom. <laughs> so we'll, um, we'll see more as we go ahead. It's the next section here. Under the upswelling tide, he saw the writhing weeds lift languidly. So the tide is flowing in, the seaweeds lift up, right? Because he's talking about the, the rack and seaweed that's all scattered. And, mm -hmm. and sway reluctant arms, hising up their petticoats in whispering water, swaying. So the water is still whispering, it's speaking. And upturning coy silver fronds. He's still, this is just kind of a... A pretty description of, of, you know, plants and sea life kind of rising up with the swelling tide. Mm -hmm. The hyzing up their petticoats. So think of like the, like, can-can dancers. Oh, okay. Right? And that is also a callback. Remember when we read Telemachus? Mm-hmm. And they're talking about Mother Grogan. And then Stephen says something like, oh, she must be a relative of Mary Ann's. And then Buck Mulligan recites this little bit of verse here. For old Mary Ann, she doesn't care a damn but hising up her petticoats. And the next line is, she pisses like a man. <laughs> there, are di there are different versions of it, but I'm pretty sure given the context, that's mm -hmm. what they're going for. Okay. Uh, we talked all about that in an episode, I think like episode six of this podcast called Tea for the Towerman. Mm -hmm. We also have a blog post about it, so you can find those. Mulligan is, is always on his mind, you know? That, mm -hmm. How many times have I said that? So he's thinking of, he, he sees these, you know, fronds rising yeah, in the water. Mulligan, they as they like. say, is living in his mind rent-free. Yes. Yeah. And in the tower, too, because mm -hmm. Stephen pays the rent. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next. Day by day, night by night, lift, flooded, and let fall. So, again, that's just the, the rolling cycle of tides. Lord, they are weary, and whispered to, they sigh. So again, these, these inanimate objects become animate. They have a voice, they sigh. Mm -hmm. St. Ambrose heard it, sigh of leaves and waves. Same pattern there, sigh of leaves and waves. Waiting, awaiting the fullness of their times. Diebus ac noctibus inurius patiens ingemniscit. So let's just uh, tackle that Latin right away. The Latin translation is day and night it groans over wrongs and it is the creation so day and night the creation groans over wrongs and that is from saint ambrose and it was from i believe a book called commentary on romans and it's his commentary on not the people of rome but of uh the book of the bible romans mm -hmm. and the verses chapter and verses romans eight twenty two, which reads for we know that the whole of creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Could you read that holier? For we know that the whole of creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Thank you. 
that felt a More little bit preachery. Uh, I wouldn't call it either of those. Just uh, Dermot has a Bible voice, yeah. and I, I was bummed that he didn't use it. Oh, that's my King James voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go, King James. Uh, Hugh Kenner, another Ulysses, Ulysses scholar who wrote a book called Ulysses, which is a Original. great thin little volume about Ulysses. He wrote that, quote, Ambrose had read Romans 8.22 with an ear trained by leaves and waves, their words serving to elucidate God's word. So... St. Ambrose is also hearing the, the speech of these inanimate things, mm -hmm. or these natural things. Mm -hmm. And through the, those whispers and sounds, he's hearing God's word, or he's hearing the sound of creation. Or he expresses in Latin what these waves are trying to say through their onomatopoeia. They don't have access to human language. Mm -hmm. So Ambrose, like Stephen, is also kind of acting as a translator as he hears what Kenner referred to as the omnipresent noise of creation. Mm. So that's that's what these things are, are saying. Like Stephen's hearing it too on the beach. It's um, you know, not just the, the whisper of the waves or the leaves or these other things. What you know they're they're saying if you're able to listen to these non-human voices is you're hearing the noise of creation. And that could be a maybe a creation with a, a capital C, mm -hmm. but it could also just be a creation with a lowercase c, just the act of creating, um, which is Stephen is engaged in, in this section. Okay. Do you buy it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah so creation yeah. on a grander scale than his urine, as above, so below. Mm -hmm. To know and gathered, vainly then released, forth flowing, wending back, loom of the moon, right? So, the, yeah, the, you, you call this, it's the tides, so like the mm -hmm. loom of the moon is where the moon weaves the tide. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's kind of a you know, giving animation to the moon, which is, you know, I think we, in our um, disenchanted world, we see as a big hunk of space rock. Mm -hmm. But this is giving it more uh, agency and... Yeah, um, Bruno would have regarded it as a giant and sold animal. That's right. Yeah, not just a, a, an ensouled thing, but an actual animal. Mm -hmm. Weary too in sight of lovers, lascivious men, a naked woman shining in her courts, she draws a toil of waters. So, again, this is the, the moon pushing the tides or pulling the tides, or mm. however you want to see it. don't have much else to say about that. I think it's just a very, very poetic way of describing the mm. that kind of procession of tides. That's yeah. such a, a key theme in this section, really. Last paragraph here. Five fathoms out there. Full fathom five, thy father lies. And you called it, this is from Shakespeare. This is from Act One, Scene Two of The Tempest from a bit called Ariel's Song. How familiar are you with The Tempest, Dermot? Uh, vaguely um, used as inspiration for the science fiction classic Forbidden Planet. Oh, okay. I, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I'm not a big Shakespeare fan. He's okay. He's all right. You don't like Shakespeare. He's not bad. <laughs> That's what He's... people think when they say it's bad. I, I'm, 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 uh, I love the, reading the... George Orwell's essay about Leo Tolstoy, who hated Shakespeare with a pathological loathing. Mm -hmm. And Tolstoy self-published pamphlets like a crank mm -hmm. uh, about how awful Shakespeare, as a writer, Shakespeare, as a playwright. Because the, uh, and my cat agrees, scream. And uh, I thought, oh, I'm not the only one. That's I'm, the groan I've, of creation. I've got Tolstoy with me. I'm not, I don't, I don't feel so lonely mm -hmm. now. It does feel like you're set apart from humanity when you see everyone like talking about how great Shakespeare is. Mm -hmm. Those stories are crazy. They make no sense. None of them. Look, here. You're told in school that 
the, the tragic hero has a fatal flaw and Hamlet's tragic flaw is this and Othello's tragic flaw is that. No, all of Shakespeare's tragic heroes have one single common flaw and it's this. They're all stupid. I thought you were say they're all written by Shakespeare. <laughs> no, they're all stupid. They're all stupid, stupid people. Hamlet, kill that guy now. Othello, Iago is lying to you. King Lear, that's the daughter who loves you. Stop being an idiot. They're idiot plots. That's all they are. Idiot plots. Mm -hmm. if, and we would, if a lesser writer had written them, we'd call them an idiot plot. And they're passing the what, idiot ball around. What do you think around. about The, the Tempest? Uh, it's, I, it's probably, well, I haven't read it as, in the same a, detail that I've read the others. The second episode in, the row, in a row where we talk about The Tempest. Yeah, a guy gets we talked about Caliban shipwrecked on the island and there's the magician. and Prospero. Who might have been inspired by John Dee or one of those oh, wackadoos. Right, yeah. And um, yeah, and got some pretty dialogue in it. It's got some pretty poetry in it. No question. Brave New World. Yeah, that that line there, that title comes from The Tempest. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So first anyway, hand. That's my axe grinding. All right. I, I was just going to jump right into the, the Tempest, which I first was introduced to as a child through the PBS show Wishbone. Are you familiar with Wishbone? <laughs> no. It's about a Jack Russell Terrier named Wishbone who... Half the episode is like him doing dog things, and then the other half is him recounting classic tales. Hmm. And there's one, and he plays the main roles in them. Okay. In the Tempest, Ferdinand and his crew, which includes his father, are shipwrecked. He ends up on the shore of this weird island. He assumes everyone's dead, and Ariel, the spirit of the air, who is a, I, I believe, a servant of Prospero, the magician, who might be John Dee or Edward Kelly. Prospero has instructed him to gently guide Ferdinand to where he wants to go. And Ariel does this by singing the song just on the edge of hearing. Mm -hmm. So he's hearing the wind speaking to him, but it's singing him the song. And I'd like you to, to read Ariel's song, Dermot. You don't have to sing it, but if you did. Should I do it in the voice? You, you can do it whatever voice you want. I'll just do it in the normal voice. Give it like that. Yeah. Come on to these yellow sands and then take hands. Curtsied when you have and kissed the wild waves whist. Footed featly here and there and sweet sprites the burthen bear. Hark, hark, bow wow, the watchdogs bark, bow wow. Hark, hark, I hear the strain of strutting Chanticleer. Cry, cock-a-diddle-dow. Full fathoms five thy father lies, of his bones are coral made. Those are pearls that were his eyes. Nothing of him that doth fade, but doth suffer a sea change into something rich and strange. Sea nymphs hourly ring his knell, ding dong, hark, now I hear them, ding dong bell. Yeah, that's Ariel's song, so we're going to talk about this time and next time. So, because it's, it's definitely alluded to in this passage. One thing that's interesting about this song for t today's discussion is how heavily it leans on onomatopoeia, mm -hmm. which is not something that Shakespeare was really into, but he did use it here. And some of the sounds that Ariel is reproducing for Ferdinand's sake um, are things that Stephen has encountered as well. There's kind of a, a parallel here. So he hears a dog sound, which Shakespeare marks as bow wow, mm -hmm. uh, these watchdogs. Stephen hears Tatters bark, but he just says Tatters barks. He mm. never really gave Tatters a voice like mm. Bloom's cat. Right. Ariel also sings a bell sound, which in this case is a death knell for Ferdinand's father, who, spoiler alert, is not actually dead. Stephen earlier, do you remember when Stephen was talking about the Eucharist and Dan mm -hmm. Ockham and the... Yes. 
hypostasis and all that. <laughs> Remember when we were talking about hypostasis? Oh, happy so, times. Shakespeare goes for kind of a basic ding dong. Mm -hmm. Stephen goes for uh, drink a drink, drink a drink for mm. his uh, Eucharistic or his sacral bells. Yeah. And then finally, the cock crowing old Chanticleer there says uh, cock a diddle dow, mm -hmm. cock a diddle do, mm -hmm. but not really the sound of a cock crowing. There's no cocks crowing in Proteus. There is a cock lake. You think is that good enough? The cock lake has a four-worded wave speech. Well, are you trying to draw an, a tempest analogy with the... And there was this one little dangling one. So mm -hmm. I was like, you know, maybe there's some connection. There's a cock lake. Yeah. I don't know. We must complete the circle. Okay. <laughs> Next line. At one he said... So this refers to a drowned man. At one he said... So this is one o'clock. Remember when we were reading Telemachus? Mm -hmm. um, Stephen and the boys overheard two men talking on their way down to bathe at the 40-foot, no girls allowed. Mm, good. And one, a boatman, remarks, There's five fathoms out there. It'll be swept up that way when the tide comes in about one. It's nine days today. That's, this is kind of Stephen remembering through the lens of Shakespeare, this thing he'd overheard earlier as he looks out to sea. So you can look up there, I mean, there are tide charts. The high tides for Dublin on 16th of June, 1904, according to... Tom's directory were at 12.18 a.m. and 12.42 p.m. Not quite one o'clock, but nonetheless, the drowned man approacheth. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, yeah, it's nine days today. Why does he say that? Traditionally, it was believed that a body lost at sea, uh, if it hadn't surfaced or been found earlier, would surface of its own accord on the ninth day, mm -hmm. which that day is today. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting that number nine mm -hmm. repeating, like the ninth wave, the ninth day. Yeah. So next line here, found drowned, also a rhyme I hadn't noticed until I read this out loud. High water at Dublin Bar. So uh, what this refers to is uh, this kind of where this man drowned. He drowned off Maiden's Rock, which is a group of rocks off the coast of Dalkey. Uh, Maiden's Rock isn't visible from Sandy Mount, but the way those kind of protean tides shift and move, the drowned man could potentially wash up there, where hmm. Stephen is right now. All right, and then this last little bit. And this last bit here, too, I, we'll probably end up repeating next week because it's so tied with the stuff that comes right after. Driving before it a loose drift of rubble, fan shoals of fish, silly shells, a corpse rising salt white from the undertow, bobbing apace apace a porpoise landward, there he is, hook it quick, pull, sunk though he be beneath the watery floor. We have him now. Easy now. Stephen is imagining this is this, this corpse kind of loosening from the, the seafloor and then rising salt white, as he says, to the surface on the bay on, on this the ninth day. Mm -hmm. It's driving loose before it, like it has a certain energy of its own, and it's kind of guiding its own rising as it pushes all of these other things out of the way. I want to point out the silly shells, because if you remember on Mr. Deasy's desk, there are shells yes. that are kind of meant to represent ho the hollowness of money and like earthly riches, mm -hmm. as a opposed to artistic riches, mm -hmm. you know, riches of the intellect or the spirit. So silly shells he's pushing out of the way. Um, and then this, a pace, a pace, a porpoise. Um, I don't know what that means. I'm just going to be real. <laughs> 
honest, I don't know what it means. And it actually has an an annotation note in the Gifford and Seidman annotation where they're also like, we really don't know what this means. Yeah, and this is the last of it is, oh, there he is. Hook it up. You know, they're, they're putting a hook in the, the corpse and just pulling him up. Uh, sunk though he be beneath the watery floor. You got that kind of Shakespearean turn there. Oh, we have him easy now. And then, you know, less literary, just some guys, boatmen, pulling him up. Very unpleasant job. Absolutely. So we're very close to the end. We're now. very close to the end, yeah. You think the next one will be the end of Proteus? No, we've got a we've got a few more episodes. <laughs> you said there was only going to be one more. No, no, I didn't mm. say that. It's amazing because we're looking at like mm. what a page and a bit still. It's it's about a page all told, mm. and I think the the next bit here, so you guys can hear some inside baseball here. We're going to go over the the drowning. And then that line about God becomes man, becomes fish, mm -hmm. that, like, that's going to get it, that one sentence will get its own episode. Oh, my God. Okay. Do you remember when, when we wrote about it? Yeah. 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 And then the, the rest, like, that comes after that, I think we can put into one. Okay. So we've got three more. All right. After this. Okay. Whew. Bloody hell. And then I will ask you to recap. No. <laughs> But I would, I would hope that you could sit down and read this and make some sense of it. Yeah, I, I think I could. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, something to mention here too is in Proteus, and I'll mention this over the next couple episodes. It, Proteus, we kind of took a different turn with the the podcast, um, reading every single line. Mm -hmm. Some of this I never wrote about on the blog. Like this, the section I think you can do as a discussion, but as a self-contained blog post, it's. I just felt like there wasn't enough in it mm -hmm. um, to write about a theme. Um, but we decided, rather, the first the first two episodes, Telemachus and Nestor, we kind of went over the major themes, a few interesting or difficult passages, um, but we didn't go over, over every word. And that was always my feeling, is our, our readers don't need us to explain every word, mm. but because of the challenging nature of Proteus, kind of decided, let's do that just for this one. Yep. But as we're finishing up here, look what happens. You turn the page. It's blank. It's just got the number two on uh -huh. it. Uh-huh. And then? M. Big letter M. A very small letter R, because it says Mr. Oh, Mr. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's 8 a.m. again, and we're with Leopold Bloom. And it's far less complex than Proteus. Oh, it's urine meets and... It's urine meets and... Meowing cats. And meowing cats. Loveless marriages. Loveless marriages, metempsychosis, and smutty novels, Excellent. and looking at ladies' bums, and mm. Zionism, and pooping. Easy stuff. <laughs> Easy stuff, yeah. So, I guess what I would like to know from our listeners is, do you want us to return to the original format where we go over some of these key themes a few key passages, but we don't explain every word? Or would you like us to keep going like we are and just read every single word of the novel, which I don't think is necessary. Hmm. But if people like that, like, you know, we're here to serve our audience at this point, which we built a small audience. Yeah, but you don't want us to die halfway through the book, like Frank Delaney, you know? Yeah, that's true. So think about that. Um, in the near future, I'm going to put a, a poll on our social media we, we would genuinely like to know mm. our, our listeners' opinions. Do you want us to keep going like we are? Because we can go over bigger, like we could probably do bigger chunks of 
Calypso because it's it's not like Proteus where we're maybe mm -hmm. like you can get an hour out of one line. Mm -hmm. um, Calypso's not like that, and I don't I don't think it needs that treatment. But if people enjoy it and they like it, like we should, I think tailor the show to people's interests. Mm -hmm. But you know, differentiating ourselves from Frank Delaney has always been on my my mind. Right. All right, so we'll let you think about that. That's our closing thought, and I would like you to read one line right here from the next. <laughs> You're awful person. <laughs> the cat said loudly. <laughs> I hope the mics picked that up. Yeah. I really hope they did, because that, that was beautiful. Our, one of our squeaky, ancient 20-year-old cats screamed right outside the door one night. I hope. Usually when he screams, I have to uh, cut all those parts out. All right. Well, the, the cat beckons. The, uh, the speechless has been given speech. Mm -hmm. um, the crea creation groans outside our door. Mm -hmm. So we'll leave you, kind readers, listeners, whatever the hell you are. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Blooms and Barnacles podcast. Your support means the world to us. You can subscribe to Blooms and Barnacles on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other place you listen to podcasts. You can also stream our episodes at our website, bloomsandbarnacles.com. That's bloomsandbarnacles.com. If you've enjoyed our podcast, you can do one of three things to help support us. Number one, please donate at bloomsandbarnacles.com. The PayPal donate button is at the upper right-hand corner of the page. This helps us pay for coffee and for hosting fees. Two, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. This helps more people find our show. And three, share us with a friend who you think would enjoy Blooms and Barnacles. Blooms and Barnacles is also a blog. We post new articles and original artwork semi-regularly at bloomsandbarnacles.com. Never miss an update by following us on social media. Search for our group Blooms and Barnacles Podcast on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at BarnacleCast. You can also send us an email at bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. That's bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. We met some of our favorite podcast friends through random emails and social media DMs. We'd love to hear from you too, so don't be afraid to shoot us a message anytime. We'll be back in your feed in two weeks. Bye for now.